Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gunnerblog, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you. Apologies for the delay in reaching you. Um, I was caught up with, as you put it on Twitter, the lawnmower man himself. The lawnmower man was literally mowing the lawn, which I guess is what you would expect a lawnmower man to do. Yeah, if anything, he was fulfilling his kind of uh, nominative obligations. I mean, you know, that's how he got the name, the lawnmower man. I guess mowing lawns. It would, he would, if to deny him that would be wrong and cruel. That's his livelihood. He loves mowing the lawn. Yeah, I mean, could you make him do other things? Would that just confuse him? Could you make him like mow a shag pile carpet? Would that would that be still in the same uh, ballpark? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm at my mum's house at the moment, and uh, she hasn't got carpet. She's got wooden floor, so it's the lawn or nothing for him, I'm afraid. Right, OK. His options are, are fairly limited. We also should uh, just point out that there are some connection issues, uh, not between us personally, but inter- no. internet, internetingly. Uh, the, there are a few little connection issues, so sound quality might be a, a problem throughout this podcast. We have no idea. We're just, we're just winging it. We're going to see what happens. Um, so apologies if there are some delays or little bits that cut out, uh, uh, but we'll try and bring you uh, as good a podcast as we possibly can under the circumstances. Yeah, I mean, it seems, as I say, I'm staying with my mum this week and it seems like she's diverted most of her funds into gardening, not into Wi-Fi. Um, I can only apologise for that. Yeah, well, some people have got their priorities all wrong, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Her podcast is rubbish. It's absolutely <laughs> rubbish, the quality on her podcast. Uh, where is my monkey podcast? That's the podcast. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. All right. Well, look, shall we talk about football? I think we should talk about football. I feel like I need to talk about football uh, just to kind of take my mind off all the other things that are going on in the world right now. It's... Uh, it's, it's yeah, please. Yeah, it's... It's uh, it's bad, uh, which is why I think football uh, would be good for people. Um, we can talk about football. So let's talk about football. Arsenal played Brighton yesterday at the Emirates. Not the most exciting game I think we're ever going to witness at the Emirates Stadium or indeed any other stadium or possibly uh, between Arsenal and Brighton, who may have more exciting fixtures uh, than this between them. But, uh, well, what can you do? Another clean sheet, another three points. We can't argue with that, can we? No. I mean, maybe it would be more exciting if someone was mowing the lawn during the game. That would be quite interesting, wouldn't it? That would be good. It would add a, a pinball element to the to the thing that, you know, you think a shot is going in and all of a sudden the lawnmower man is going across the goal and deflects it away. That would be something. I always like uh, in rugby, and I think it happens in, in Gaelic football as well, is that when a player gets injured, they just carry on. And the guy's on the field getting treatment from the physio and play carries on around him. Um, I, maybe football could do that as well to make games like this a bit more interesting. So someone goes down with an injury, play carries on, and if you get in the way, you get in the way. Like if, if you get in the way of, uh, uh, say, Kolasinac, then, um, you know, that's your tough shit. Yeah, and, and also maybe players would be less inclined to stay down if there was uh, an increased risk of them being run over by a lawnmower. Yes, that's true. You, would, you wouldn't dive, you wouldn't roll around pretending if you thought there was the possibility that your limbs could be shredded by a lawnmower. What kind of a lawnmower are we talking about here? Like a push one, a flymo, one of those cool tractor ones that you sit on and drive around like a bumper yeah. car? 
I'm talking about one you drive, I think. Yeah, I think that would be the most interesting. Yeah. I mean, the players would all take to just sort of skirting around the edges of the pitch, you know, trying to stay out of the way. I mean, it'd be like having 11 Theo Walcotts. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> now I love it. Thanks for all the thanks for all the goals in Belarus, Theo. We enjoyed those. I, but I'm saying nothing. I'm just like, you're maintaining diplomatic silence here. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it, 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 would, it would certainly have added something to yesterday, but probably as an idea, it's not really workable. So I think we should concentrate on what, what actually happened. Um, fair enough. Fair enough. So we had no Mesut Ozil because he was out injured. He's got a knee problem. We'd know Lauren Koscielny because he was out injured. He's got his uh, Achilles is hanging off, uh, as far as we, we know. He's got an ongoing chronic problem with his, with his Achilles, and uh, it's flared up, which I think it did... Uh, a while ago, maybe at the start, maybe not last season, the season before last, I remember missing a few games at the start because of this Achilles problem and then they got it under control and he was able to play for most of the season. So fingers crossed, it's not too, uh, it's not too uh, much of a problem for him to overcome. But Rob Holding came in at the back and Alex Iwobi returning from injury came in as the man to, uh, to replace Mesut Ozil. Perhaps... A glimpse into the Arsenal future there, James. Yeah, well, maybe. I mean, I, I, I thought that uh, it went be really well and I was pleased for him because obviously he played against Chelsea and then picked up an untimely injury. An injury that I don't think was ever really commented on by the club. I don't think they were ever particularly clear about what it was or what happened to him. But he got back before the end of the international break, before the international break came around, sorry, got back in the team and I thought it was a really good performance from him yesterday and crucially, a goal and a bit of end product. You know, Arsene Wenger's called upon him to add that to his game and maybe a sign that he's beginning to develop that, which is really what he needs to go to the next level. Yeah, quite interesting that he, he said about Iwobi, more or less the same that he said about uh, Mesut Ozil. Remember, he spoke quite often about Mesut Ozil needing to add more goals. He wanted at least 10 goals a season from... Uh, from Ozil, and that's what he said about Iwobi as well. So he's setting him mm. fairly high standards, but we'll come to his goal in a few minutes' time. But uh, the game could have started with an absolute cracker, couldn't it, with uh, Alexandra Lacazette? Actually, should we comment on the, the fact that we had three different flavours of Alex as our front three? Is, uh, I think that's the first time oh. that's ever happened. We've had a, we've, uh, an Alex Iwobi, Alexandra Lacazette, Alexis Sanchez. Um, so there's three different types of... Um, Alex. Yes, which is that's great. true. I had, that hadn't occurred to me. Yeah. Alex, Alex and Alex. Well, there was no way we can possibly recall Mesut Ozil in that case. He would ruin the formula. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's good good stuff for all Alexes out there. Or Alexandras <laughs> or Alexanders or... I mean, could we include Alec? You know, the, the Scottish variation with a C or maybe a CK? Presume, presume we could yeah, if, we, we, if we really wanted to. Um, yeah. If there are any tasty Alex out there, I don't know. I'm not watching enough SPL these days. No, but me it was a great strike for Lacazette. Really good hit. And uh, I feel like he's been a bit unlucky. You know, you, you, you look at that, you look at the one he hit in the community shield that struck the post. You think of the disallowed goal against Stoke. You know, he, he could have a few more on his tally with a, bit of, with a bit of good luck. I mean, he probably should have won later in the game, but this was a, a brilliant effort. And... I guess kind of uh, it always lifts the crowd, doesn't it, when you, when something like that happens early on? Because it was a weird atmosphere. It's too early. It's too early for a football match. Twelve noon is a rubbish time on a Sunday. Certainly, twelve noon is an absolutely terrible time. And I think we've got some questions a bit later on, maybe about atmosphere and and that that kind of stuff. But just generally speaking, twelve o'clock on a Sunday is not when anybody is in their finest fettle, should we say, when it comes to being uh, upbeat and uh, ready to sing songs and all that kind of stuff. I mean, a lot of people, even if you're not suffering from a hangover on a Sunday morning, it still just feels like it's too early on a Sunday to play and, and for, for atmosphere to really get built. For me on a Sunday, you know, basically by the time I'm actually properly up and about, I had to be at the game and uh, that's, that's not an ideal situation. So yeah, I, I don't really know why those really, really early ones come about. It's when they try to squeeze three games in, isn't it, on, on the Sunday, three televised games. But yeah. It did not help the atmosphere. And plenty of empty seats around as well. And I'm sure the kickoff time 
played into that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is an ongoing issue, certainly for for the club, the empty seats. And there are reasons why you could look at Thursday night games. You can look at games at 12 noon on a Sunday. Um, you know, just the way the fixtures have been arranged this season, there are uh, many reasons for that. But there are other more fundamental reasons, which I think we've touched on in the past. But yeah, I mean, 12 o'clock on a Sunday... Um, yeah, I don't know what you can do about it other than just sort of um, turn up and win the game, which we did. So the, uh, the I mean, that could have that could have woken people up, couldn't it? The the Lacazette goal that could have uh, got things off to a very bright start. But it wasn't long before we did go ahead. Uh, Nacho Monreal scoring his first Premier League goal since uh, 2013, I think it was, uh, yeah. when he scored against Swansea. His first at the Emirates Stadium, I believe. And what a cracker it was. A beautiful goal. <laughs> I actually thought um, he took it down very well. And for a guy playing, uh, uh, finishing with his with his wrong foot, uh, I thought it was a tidier goal than it looked. It looked very scuffed and what have you. But I think there was a bit more control to it than, than people think. Uh, maybe so. I meant more the kind of ricocheting uh, that occurred in the penalty area just before Bellerin had a go. Mustafi had a go. My favourite thing about this goal is the way Alexis Sanchez jumps out the way of Montreal's <laughs> shot. I don't know if you've noticed that. But no, I haven't. As, as it goes along the ground. Oh, it's worth a look on the replay. Basically, Montreal hits it with his right foot and it's heading towards the goal and there's two uh, two defenders and Alexis are all in the way and he kind of just throws himself up in the air. I mean, it's almost like one of those Francis Coquelin blocks, you know, like the, the one he pulled out against Wayne Rooney a couple okay. of years ago. Um, Ooh, I'm going yeah, just- to watch it here maybe. Hang on one second now. I'm going to watch yeah, it. Yeah, he just, he just chucks himself in the air. All right, here it goes. We're going to, just watching this, the uh, referee is telling the Brighton wall to move back. He was quite officious, wasn't he, the referee? And mm. uh, he made Xhaka... I think Lacazette does really well to keep the ball in play from Xhaka's free kick. He, yeah, here it goes. He gets to it on the byline and back knocks post, it back across. Comes back in, Mustafi shot blocked, cleared off the line. Bellerin shot blocked. Monreal, oh, <laughs> I think... <laughs> Uh, I'm going to wait and see the replay here, but it looks like Alexis is jumping out of the way, but is also creamed out of it by a couple of Brighton defenders. It looks like they've uh, <laughs> they've just taken the legs out from underneath him as he as he's getting out of the way. Shades uh, of maybe um, that's it. Wasn't there a, a famous? Uh, I think Monreal has said to him, "Cheers, well done for getting out of the way." Um, there was a Bentner goal, or Bentner stopped Sesk scoring, didn't he? One time he blocked it on the line. Here we go. Yes. Trying to back flick it, he was, or something. Yeah, I need to see a different... Lacazette keeps it in, for sure. Yeah, they were complaining. Some guy got booked. Ball rebounds in. Mustafi block. Hack off the line. Bellerin shot. Okay, here's the, here's the good replay. <laughs> I, th- I think what happens, actually, is that um, as Monreal shoots the guy bumps into Alexis, so he decides to make the most of the contact and jump out of the way. Uh-huh. So I think there was an element of like, well, if, if this gets uh, goes wide or something, maybe I might get a penalty. But yeah, it worked out, worked out well for everybody in the end. So uh, Yeah, yeah. And the only surprise is, I guess, that he didn't try and get a touch on it, but yeah. there you go, he got a little bump in the back, so that explains it. He could have had a goal, couldn't he? I think he should have had a goal, Alexis, uh, when Lacazette was through. And I think when a striker's in that yeah. position, you, you understand that they're going to shoot if they're in good form and if they're that kind of uh, focused on goals, singularly focused on goals. But I think we talked about decision-making before, didn't we? That maybe the with, with better decision-making, we would be a more... Uh, efficient attacking team that we would make more of the situations that we have and I think in that situation if Lacazette had just played the ball back inside Alexis had a one-on-one with the goalkeeper and I I would have backed him to put that away yeah I was actually quite surprised that uh, Alexis didn't really lay into Lacazette after that moment maybe uh, maybe he likes him I don't know (laughs) maybe they're they're getting on because normally I mean anybody who didn't pass to Alexis in that situation would hear a lot about it but he was relatively calm about the whole thing but yeah that should have been 2-0 really and also Aaron Ramsey arguably should have scored shouldn't he after what was quite a a good and effective counter-attack 
Yes, that was a really good break. It was one of those where we made pretty much the right decision uh, as we moved the ball from back up towards their end. Uh, yeah, he probably should have scored. I think some credit has to go to the goalkeeper as well because it was a good save. Ramsey Ramsey took the uh, the near post option, assuming that the goalkeeper uh, was going to continue across his goal and assume, uh, maybe uh, reading that the shot was going to go that way. But uh, yeah, he made a good save with his feet. I mean, he should probably have scored, but I think there's is not so not entirely a, a bad miss. I think we have to give some credit to the mm. keeper there. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're making it sound as if it was kind of one way traffic, but that that wasn't really the story of the first half, was it? I mean, they it was a really weird game because Brighton, despite not looking a particularly great team, were able to provide us with a few scares at the other end. Yeah, I mean the goal woke them up. I mean it didn't it didn't set us uh, on the course for a more ruthless uh, performance. Certainly, yeah. you know, obviously they had to change the way they played because they were sitting extremely deep. Their plan was to keep 10, 11 players behind the ball, stop us scoring. So as soon as we scored, they had to come out a bit and play, and they did. Uh, a very clever free kick. Maybe it was clever because we're just not very good at reading when a team is going to do something other than the the obvious right like short corners to this to this day still tend to baffle us right oh fuck forgot they could do that and and this was slightly uh slightly similar in that they they didn't just take a shot on goal from the free kick they moved the ball into a position where the guy had a better side of goal and he was very unlucky not to score yeah, I almost feel like it's because we're because we're not natural defenders generally as a team. It's like everyone's so concentrated on their on the job they've been given that any kind of improvisation completely wigs us out and we've got no idea how to deal with it. This was a, a really well worked free kick and a good strike. And I mean look Unlucky, unlucky for Brighton, lucky for mm. us, and we're, we're able to, you know, go in at half time ahead. How do you feel about the way? Obviously, the results have been good since the the Anfield game. Results have been good, and that's mm. really should be our primary focus. I'm not trying to uh, be negative in any way, but I'm just curious as to whether you feel like we've been riding our luck a little bit because there have been moments in games that we've won where the complexion of that game could change radically by fingertips by the width of a post you know uh, and you'll take it obviously but I do wonder if we could be just perhaps uh, riding our luck a little bit at times yeah certainly I mean you know I think uh, some of the stats would bear that out and it was a little bit true towards the end of last season you know even with this back three system if you look at XG in terms of the numbers of chances we were actually conceding against us maybe we were performing a little bit above expectations I mean the, the weird thing about this run is you'd say the game in which that wasn't necessarily the case I mean I'm talking anecdotally here but the Chelsea match mm. I, you know didn't feel like like that game it's been some of the you know inverted commas easier fixtures sure. that have been more more like that um, and maybe that's because the calibre of the options a bit less and they simply haven't always had the quality to capitalise on the chances that we've given them so yeah we have been a bit lucky I suppose but maybe that's just because we've been up against some teams who aren't quite as, mm. as ruthless as some others okay well like I said I'll take it you know I'm not complaining but I'm just it just worries me slightly that you know Games where we've gone behind uh, against teams like this who have come to play like this, uh, and I'm not talking that you know obviously we scored first, but maybe the West Brom game was a, a, a better example of that where we could have been a goal down uh, if the referee had played on or not played on and, and given them a penalty. Uh, you know, mm. against a team like West Brom, having gone behind, we've seen games where we've bombarded the opposition and just haven't been able to make a breakthrough, and we we know how frustrating those kind of performances can be. But look, no point dwelling on what, what what didn't happen, but I'm just a little bit worried that maybe that look uh, w- won't extend as, as long as we might like. Second half, we were a lot better, I think, from an attacking point of view. Alexis Sanchez really seemed to come to life. 
Yeah, he did. He uh, he looked like a man on a mission in the second half. I mean, you know, he, he clearly wanted a goal and he was very, very unfortunate to not get it with one particular effort. But every time he got the ball, he was running at people. He was buzzing all over the place. So, yeah, it was a good performance from him in the second half and obviously capped by... Uh, a brilliant assist. And it, to be fair, it wasn't just his assist that made that goal so good. I liked all the passing play and the build-up. There was a pace about the way we moved the ball um, that was really encouraging to see. Yeah, absolutely. And there were a couple of moments, actually, where we put those slick passing moves together around their box and it, it opened them up. There was one in the first half for Iwobi as well. And you can see maybe, mm. you know, just that there is a bit more confidence growing in the team, the ability to to pick those kind of passes. And when we do put it together, those one-touch moves are very, very difficult to defend. And it makes it, uh, not, not that it makes it easy to open up a team like Brighton, but that's kind of what you need when you're playing a team who are sitting deep or are going to pack their own penalty area, the, the ability to to uh, complete those passing moves. But I, you know, I didn't realise when watching it on TV because Brighton had just had a shot on goal. We allowed some guy the chance to take a shot from maybe 25 yards out. We didn't really close him down particularly well. It was a mm-hmm. routine save for Czech. But I didn't quite realise how good that passing move was. Uh, you know, from Czech uh, into the back three, into midfield, Ramsey, Lacazette, Alexis all involved, Iwobi involved, uh, and the back heel from, from Alexis you know, those are the moments for all the things that he does that might frustrate you. Those are the moments that can prove really important. And again, they gave us the cushion that we needed. They made the game more or less safe. Obviously, it wasn't uh, over and done uh, at 2-0, but you're much happier with a two-goal cushion uh, than than just hanging on for one goal because just one moment can prove really costly. Yeah, that's it. And I think Alexis, even in this early part of the season, has, you know, been absolutely instrumental already. I mean, you know, you think back to his first game against Cologne, the, the brilliant goal he scored in that match. Uh, West Brom, you know, it's his set piece that created Lacazette's opener. And I, I just think he's been involved in key moments, even when he hasn't necessarily been up to speed. And I thought the second half performance was probably the first time this season that I've really thought... Okay, here we go. This is this is the Alexis I was seeing last year. Um, I thought he was he was at that level actually, and might have ended up with a goal himself. Certainly created a brilliant assist, and it's it's he's a conundrum. He's a conundrum, but there's a reason that Arsene Wenger said all summer that he wanted to keep him. Um, and and we saw that in that touch. It was it was to the imagination to to conceive it and the technique to pull it off. And I was really pleased with Alex Wobie's finish as well. A bit like his Emirates Cup finish. It was unusually emphatic for him. Yeah, he he tends to have he tends to try and place his shots, doesn't he? I think that's what he's trying to do. Not necessarily hit them softly, but I think he's trying to place them to sort of pass them into the net the way that Thierry Henry did, you know, the uh, using the inside of your foot and curling them uh, beyond the keeper. And I think sometimes there is a need to just have a bit more welly behind it. And he certainly did that with the finish. The finish was uh, first class. Uh, and I think the goal, you know, one of the one of the best goals we've scored this season so far. Arsene Wenger then brought on, well, not just then, but not long afterwards, um, brought on uh, Olivier Giroud and Theo Walcott, I guess, to add a bit of freshness to the attack. But it seemed to seemed to do the opposite in in some ways that we didn't really look as threatening with those two guys on the field. And when you consider the amount of goals that they've scored, they scored you know between them in midweek uh, in uh, in Borisov. Um, that that was a bit surprising, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it disrupted our style of play it disrupted our momentum I also think that the second goal kind of took a lot of the air out of the game you know I felt like at that point Brighton kind of knew the game was up and I thought I thought Arsenal kind of took their foot off the pedal collectively I don't I wouldn't lay it all at the feet of those two no, players no uh, no but, but but I know what you mean it's it's a funny one with Giroud isn't it because Last season, he was absolutely brilliant coming off the bench and he made a huge contribution on the opening day against Leicester. But I have kind of sensed in the past few weeks that when he has come on, maybe because the team have adapted a little bit more to playing with a different kind of striker in Lacazette, that we haven't 
we haven't quite been able to make it work and it has generally seemed to kind of slightly throw a bit of a spanner in the works when it's come off the bench. I don't know if you've noticed the same thing, but it just has seemed to slightly slow our our momentum in games. Uh, and that'll be a, a, an interesting one to keep an eye on going forward, especially once Danny Welbeck comes uh, back from injury. You know, how will Arsene Mega juggle those attacking options? Because Giroud is such a different type of striker to Lacazette. It almost seems to be, I don't know, having a bit of a, a negative impact when yeah. he comes on, which it, it seems odd given how how good he was at that a year ago. I think I think what what it is maybe is he's very much a penalty box striker. We need to get the ball into the box for him to be effective, and it works perhaps if we're as we were talking about earlier trying to bombard a defence. But when we're just comfortable and passing the ball around, he's not necessarily the guy who's going to get involved in all the slick passing moves, uh, dropping deep into midfield uh, and picking the ball up. It, you know, it requires people to get left and right and to put crosses in for him to be really effective and people working mm. off him can can be effective too certainly if Giroud is even if he's not the one who's going to score the goal he might get a knockdown he might lay it off for somebody just causing general chaos in the box might open up an, an opportunity for somebody but maybe we're just not playing to to his strengths uh, as and when he comes on we're just playing in the same way that we play as we do with Lacazette who's obviously a different kind of player much more mobile yeah I think that's a very good point. I think that's a very good point. I think basically, yeah, the balance of the team doesn't seem to be right to to bring the best out of Juvu. I know there was a lot of discussion uh, around the game, and I didn't see it, but Michael Owen on Punditry was talking about Lacazette coming off regularly at that kind of 70-minute mark. We've got a couple of questions about that, so yeah. maybe we'll cut back to that in the second part. Mm, exactly. I think we should move away from pretty much anything that Michael Owen says. Um, <laughs> Michael Owen, Michael Owen, and Robbie Savage yesterday in studio. It was like, wow, dumb and dumber. Honestly, I swear to yeah. God, it was just, <laughs> it was bad. You know who I quite enjoyed the other night? I know he was a bit. Uh, not everybody did, but I quite enjoyed John Hartson during the the Borisov game. Mm. Uh, you know. <sighs> He wasn't always saying that the greatest things, but he seemed to be really enthused by the things that he was saying. I, I kind of enjoyed that to an extent, but uh, yeah, maybe he it's had just a lot of enthusiasm for it. Yeah. Certainly, I enjoyed. Did speaking of pundits, did you see um, Kevin Campbell? I think it was on the Everton game the other day. Yeah, Kevin Campbell wearing the, wearing the suit and the bow tie and everything. Yeah, he, he looked extraordinary. It was fucking great, wasn't it? I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. You know, fair, fair, fair play. The man's got a sense of style and he's not going to dumb, dumb it down just because he's on television. He's not just going to wear the blue shirt and the, you know, the slacks. He's going the whole hog. He's got the suit, the shirt, the bow tie. I mean, he should come on with some kind of a hat or shades next time. Uh, yeah, I, I was very, very impressed. I think there should be more of that. I uh, I didn't watch the whole coverage, but I envisaged that it started with Kevin Campbell with the top hat and cane performing like a big song and dance routine. Welcome to the Europa League or something like that. <laughs> but didn't, didn't, I mean, I could be wrong here, but didn't Kevin Campbell have like a record label or something like that? Maybe, uh, maybe. Okay, yeah, hang on. Here we, I'm just going to, Holy shit, get this, right? Kevin Campbell ran his own record label, Too Wicked, with the label's first signing being rapper Mark Morrison, who released the hit tune, Return of the Mac. No way. No way. That's awesome. Return of the Mac, wow. Um, I knew that one time, and, and it was just one time, Arsenal striker Andrew Cole had released a single at some point. Do you remember? Like a terrible single yes. Andy Cole had. Out. Oh, my God. Um, I've forgotten that, but uh, I did not know that Kevin Campbell had his own label and was responsible for Return of the Mac. This is huge news. Okay, actually, uh, yeah, Andy Cole had a song called Outstanding. Yes, that's it. This is a bit of it. Hang on. It's not very good. Andy, Andy Cole is in his car here now, driving along. He's outstanding at driving. Now does that woman is singing. Still in his car. 
so far he hasn't done much except be in the car. No, he's, he's driving. He's very happy. It's a nice car, in fairness. He's driving along. Hang on, maybe here's a bit of Andy. Hang on. Okay, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, look, I think we can do without that in our lives. Um, <laughs> we gave it a chance. If only, <laughs> if only Andy Cole and Kevin Campbell had teamed up. Imagine. Well, it's no return of the Mac, I can tell you that. That's for sure. No. Um, so, look, you know, all in all... A good day. That's uh, four clean sheets in a row now in the Premier League. We haven't conceded a goal since Anfield. Uh, you could talk about the quality of the opposition, but one of those teams was Chelsea, of course. Uh, we've won every game uh, since uh, Anfield, apart from that Chelsea game. So we've won six out of seven in all competitions. And while that would be expected, it's still slowly, steadily moving in the right direction, right? We've steadied the ship. That's uh, yeah. that's that's what we've done. You know, if you think about the last international break, it was pretty miserable, really, mm. all in all. Yeah, and you have to give some credit to the manager and the team. They have stabilised significantly since then. If you told me uh, at that point that seven games in we'd be level on points with Chelsea and above Liverpool. I, I don't think I would have believed you. So, yeah. in the circumstances, it's about as good as it as, as about as good as it can be. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've got to take those positives. I know it's not been perhaps the most thrilling or enthralling, and that's down to the opposition as well. Games against Brighton and West Brom; these should be, generally speaking, you know, they're not going to be the most exciting games of the season. I do feel like I think Arsene Wenger said it. Oh my Ooh. god, that scared the, the fucking shit exciting. out of me. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you'll have to leave that in. Oh my god, that's they were very the excited. Oh wow, sorry, <laughs> that's Daisy and Blossom. Daisy and, and they, Blossom, uh, okay. Um, but yeah, don't worry, they've calmed down now, I believe. That's good, that's good. <laughs> they were very excited about Arsenal's uh run of six wins in seven games. I think it was the West Brom game that that really excited them, you know. This, the uh. <laughs> You know how exciting it is to play against uh, Tony Pulis. But look, you know, we, we, we've we done what we needed to do, I think it's fair to say, in terms of uh, getting ourselves back on track, steadying the ship and everything else. Um, anything else from the weekend stick out for you before we go into part two? Uh, no, I mean, every week I just say how scared I am of both Manchester clubs and how I think that it's really upsetting me how well they're doing. Well, I don't um, think we know really that, about... Do we know about United yet? I mean, I think we, we, we can look at City and the way that they played against Chelsea and think, uh-oh. But Manchester United haven't really played anybody of, of any real significance yet. No, I guess not. I guess not. But, you know, the, the momentum there... We'll, we'll find out in October they play... Liverpool and Spurs in October, so we'll have a better idea about them, maybe. Mm. But uh, you know what Jose Mourinho's like. I mean, once he gets on a roll, it can be yeah. absolutely maddening. Ronald Koeman under a bit of pressure, actually, because uh, because Everton mm. were beaten again. They've they've dropped more points. Uh, they, they're a team that we face. He's a he's a manager with a very good record against us. Uh, he's tended mm. to frustrate Arsene Wenger and it has happened down the years I can remember Champions League games when he was in charge of well, he was in charge of a Portuguese club as well wasn't he maybe he was in charge of Ajax as well when we played them and, and uh, against Everton he beat us last season at Goodison Park uh, but I, you know I have to say I would love it if we went there and we became the final straw if we were the straw that broke Ronald Koeman's Everton's camel's back if that makes any sense. I'd love that. The nail in the Cumin coffin. Of the camel uh, in his back. Big camel-shaped coffin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, full of... Yeah. I, I think... Uh, I, I lost my train of thought there. You probably could tell. I started something <laughs> that I couldn't finish. <laughs> it was going to get dark, um, especially for people who like camels. But I... Uh, yeah, I, I think... Well, look, they should, they're not going to sack him before that game, are they? Because he's got such a good record against Arsenal. You've got to keep him around, surely. Mm. Um, we've got three away games in a row after the international break. We've got Watford then Red Star, then Everton. And it's Thursday, Sunday with Red Star and Everton. So you guess you guess that will be a similar kind of rotation policy that we saw this week, you know, yeah. when we get back. Yeah, and there's also, I think, uh, after the Everton game, 
on Tuesday we play ah, in the, the, Carabao, the Carabao Cup. Cup as well. So you know a lot of fixtures being a lot of fixtures being squeezed in. But anyway, we'll see. Let's uh, let's keep fingers crossed that we can do what we need to do away from home as well. The fact that we've been at home, I think, has been a little bit of an advantage this week in terms of West Brom and Brighton. But we've done what we needed to do. So um, unless there's anything else, we'll take a break and come back with questions and more in part two. Anything? No, no. See you in part two. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the ArsCast Extra. This is part two of the show where we uh, answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter, at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog, and also on the ArsBlog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the ArsBlog. So... Uh, yeah, here we are. We're into part two. Do you want to go first or will I go first? I'll go first. I'll t- I'll take the, the reins. Okay. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I like it. It's decisive. Shows you've got moxie. Thank you very much. It's too much moxie, if anything. Um, this question is from Jane Cavendish, who's at jcav90. Um, she asks, on a scale from exciting slash beautiful at one end to boring slash functional at the other... What sort of football does this season's team play? Uh, a little from column A, a little from column B, I think. We saw mm. we saw yesterday that there were moments where the interchanges, the speed of thought, the, the slick passing, the one-touch passing really worked. And it's exciting when that happens because it's difficult to do. Um, but we also saw a team that perhaps is lacking a little bit of confidence, still rebuilding itself after the the defeat at Anfield, which I think was a difficult one to deal with from a psychological point of view. You know, when you go out and you get battered 4-0 against a team, as we've seen in recent weeks, a team like Liverpool that are just, they're not as good as we made them look, that's for sure. They're, they're defensively no, suspect. Uh, you know, we, we could have caused them problems with the players that we had on the pitch. Um, and our, it was interesting, Arsene Wenger talking about special circumstances uh, of the Liverpool defeat yesterday. He's mentioned it a few times and he, he mentioned it again. You know, I'm not sure I buy into that. I think it was just badly managed situations by him and by the club, which uh, played a part, but also the players on the day really didn't do themselves justice. But I think we're seeing perhaps a team that is capable of playing the exciting attacking football that we all associate with Arsene Wenger, but perhaps not capable of doing it consistently. I was a little bit disappointed yesterday that we didn't score more goals. You know, you think about the way Manchester United have been playing this season uh, and maybe what they would have done uh, against a team like Mm. Brighton yesterday. You know, they would have probably racked up three or four. Um, Mm. But, you know, it it is about getting... Four tends to be four. Tends to be four. You know, that's that's right. And... uh, yeah, there are reasons I think we know that decision-making isn't always great, that we're not always um, 
as forward thinking as we should be. There is a tendency perhaps to play safe, but maybe that is also tied in with the, the lack of confidence in the side that maybe once we start getting results and clean sheets under our belt, it might liberate us a bit more from an attacking point of view. So, uh, you know, I think there's been a need to be cautious and a need to be sensible in terms of some of the football we've played in the last number of weeks. But maybe now that we've got this run of wins under our belt, that the team will feel a bit more able to express themselves. Yeah, I think we've basically been in a period of recovery, haven't we, from that Liverpool game? Mm. Uh, it's it's and it's the results have been good, but we're not playing with complete freedom. You know, we're not playing. There's a, I mean, Arsene would say the handbrake's on <laughs> yeah. a little bit, uh, and we've not quite cut loose. Maybe it takes a big scoreline, like maybe we need to hammer someone really to kind of let the shackles off. Um, it would be great to see. I would really love us to put aside to the sword, score four or five goals. It feels like we don't do that all too often these days. Mm. Um, and another element in which we guess, I guess we've not been that entertaining, we've spoken about Arsenal playing on the counter-attack, but that was so, part of what made us such good fun to watch in the early period of last season was that we could cut through teams on the break with two or three passes, you know, Alexis and Ozil and racing up the field. Theo Walcott in that early part of the season was on fire. We haven't quite played in that way or managed to pull that off yet. And I think if if we can do, it'll make us a more kind of, you know, visceral team to watch rather than a kind of patient, attractive one. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, there have been moments this season where we could have made more of counterattacks, where we could have scored more goals if the right decision had been made on a counterattack or if the right pass had been made uh, uh, during a counterattack, you know? So uh, it's not like those moments haven't been there, but, you know, maybe as with the uh, the bits where we're riding our luck, you know, this is something we have to we have to see out. And, and when we start making those decisions and start making those passes, the team will... Uh, the team will be a bit more Arsenal-like, if if that makes sense. Um, so look, we'll, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, baby steps. I think f- following Anfield and and green shoots of recovery and and everything else. So maybe over the next few weeks, we might get a better idea of of what this team is capable of uh, on a more consistent basis. Uh, so we might revisit. Yeah, that. at the moment, I've I've not been finding it like thrilling to watch. It's not been the easiest ever on the eye, but. That's kind of not been my priority. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is, or it has been just about getting the results because we needed to get points on the board. Having lost two in a row, you know, losing to Stoke, I think is is not that we've uh, forgotten about it. But when they mentioned it yesterday on telly, I was like, oh yeah, we fucking lost to Stoke as well um, mm. because the Anfield defeat almost. Uh, overshadowed everything because of the manner of it and how how difficult that was to watch. You almost made you forget about Stoke until they reminded me. So you know there was a real need to get those points on the board, and we've done that. So fair play. You know we we did what we had to do at Chelsea, which was not lose and show we could dig in in a in a big away game. We did that, and as for the rest, you know we we've, we've seen off the uh, the the so called you know lesser opposition at home. Um, you know Bournemouth, Brighton, West Brom. We've done what we needed to do there and uh, the points are on the board and you look at the table, like you say, we're level with Chelsea and ahead of Liverpool. So uh, from that point of view, it's uh, it's going in the right direction. Anyway, go- going back to something we talked about uh, earlier, Gunnar Nair, who is at Nair the Gunnar, says, what is the deal with Lacazette continuously getting subbed off at 60 minutes? It's got to be hurting his confidence, surely. Well, for a start, it's, it's not quite 60 usually, is it? I mean, we know no. Arsene Wenger, he's, he makes his subs on 67. <laughs> Everyone knows that. Or 71. Or, or 71 or 73. Um, I don't think there's anything particularly sinister to it. I think it's about Lacazette adapting to English football. I think that it's quite normal for Arsene Wenger to do this with a player who's still acclimatising to the team, the club, the country. Um, We all want to see him stay on because we want to see him score goals. And there were some interesting stats doing the round the other day about how many, say, of Romelu Lukaku's goals come after the 80th minute. Yeah, Strikers can really thrive against a tiring defence, especially ones who've got, you know, that power and that athleticism. And I think we all want to see Lacazette given that opportunity. I just think Arsene Wenger is not necessarily protecting him, but just managing him and managing his adaptation. Mm. I genuinely think that's all it is. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, there were some quotes from him today from Lacazette where he's talking about how he's been surprised by the refereeing 
in English football. Mm. He says he's still adapting a little bit, but he's surprised at what he calls dangerous refereeing. Uh, but he's quite interesting. He says, uh, uh, I've watched a few matches to understand English football. And he says, I watch quite a lot of my matches with Arsenal. And when I look back and see what I didn't do right, I try and learn from it, which hopefully facilitates my progression. So I think there is still an element of, of adaptation of him uh, getting used to the game. I think there's the other element is he's got a 100-goal striker on the bench who he wants to keep fresh and give minutes to and make him feel like he's involved. And, and Giroud, for like I said, is, a, is, an obvious, is an obvious change. I don't really think there's a physical element to it. I think Lacazette is capable of doing 90 minutes. Uh, he did it against Leicester on the opening day. Now, that is the last time and the only time he's done it in the league for us. So I don't think it's really about fitness. I think it is, like you say, a way of protecting him, of easing him into life at Arsenal. He's going to be, hopefully, our striker for the next three or four years, somebody who's going to score a lot of goals for us. So, you know, it's still early days. And I do also wonder maybe if it is... In some ways, Arsene Wenger being a little bit clever with him by taking him off by... I mean, he won't want to be taken off, right? No no player wants to come off. No player wants to be uh, substituted, uh, even if they might understand the reasons why. So maybe it is uh, in a way to sort of... Make him not to make him prove himself, but you know what I mean to to sort of add an extra level of determination to Lacazette when he's on the pitch to to make his mark and to score the goal. So uh, you know, I don't think there's any like you. I don't think there's anything sinister. I don't think it's going to make him any less confident. It might make him more keen to score uh, earlier in games. Who knows? Um, I, I I think that probably there's good communication between Wenger and Lacazette in terms of why it's happening, and uh, you know, I would I wouldn't worry about it in any way. Uh, to be honest. No, and, and I think Arsene Wenger withdrawing his strikers with 20 minutes to go is nothing new. I think he's, you know, with the possible exception of Thierry Henry, who played, you know, pretty much every game, as he has changed them at that time in games many, many times in the past. And uh, I don't think there's anything untoward happening there. One thing I did notice about Lacazette yesterday is the amount of times... He spins in behind and it goes ignored. So every time an Aaron Ramsey or Granite Shaka picks the ball up off the off the defence, he's looking to make a run in behind. And for whatever reason, he's not being sought out. He's not being picked out. It mm. could simply be that that's not the way Arsen wants the team to play with that kind of direct long ball over the top. It could be that the players still growing used to each other. I know it's something Thierry Henry talked about on Sky a, f- a few weeks ago now, but he was growing quite frustrated with it yesterday. I think he was um, feeling a bit like, oh, come on, I'm making these runs. No one's looking for me. So I'll, I'll be fascinated to see if that's something we do start doing or if it's something that Lacazette mm. is doing that's a, a remnant from his Leon days. I, I don't know. I'm interested to see how that one works out. Yeah, we had a question on that actually from Duddy, who's at, Rick Duddy, who said, uh, why don't our midfielders look for Lacazette's runs early, following instructions or, mm. or just not looking? I mean, I think it would have been a bit more difficult yesterday because of how deep Brighton were sitting. It wasn't like that there mm. were vast expanses in behind them all the time. Um, but, I, you know, I do. I, it's something that I have noticed in, in games. And maybe there's still an element of the team adapting to Lacazette as much as Lacazette adapting to the team as well, that we've been so used to playing with uh, a more static centre-forward like Olivier Giroud, who doesn't make those kind of runs. I mean, I can think of maybe one goal, one goal maybe actually when when Olivier Giroud broke from... uh, deep and went in behind a defence. Maybe there's been one or more, but I think there was a goal against, could have been Everton or somebody at the Emirates anyway, where Mesut Ozil played him through with a beautiful flick and, uh, you know, he he went through on goal. That's not the way that he plays. He's a a close-range finisher. Um, So, yeah, it could be be just a case that the team have got to get used to playing with him as much as he's got to get used uh, to playing with the team. So... But isn't that interesting though that Lacazette is a striker who, when he arrived, you would have thought, well, he's you know he's, he's quick, he's someone who does go through in through on goal one on one. But I can't really remember him having too many opportunities like that so far this season. He's played kind of as a penalty box player, you mm. know, a, a poacher really. And uh, it, yeah, I think that that is part of his game that we've not quite tapped into yet. 
and I guess that's exciting because once we once we do, that'll be another kind of another weapon in his arsenal. But mm. I think it is a period of adaptation for everyone. And I think you're right. Playing with Giroud, you wouldn't even look for that pass. And maybe the team just aren't aware of it because his movement is excellent. And when you see it in the flesh, he, he is constantly on the shoulder of the defender looking to get in behind. So mm. having Mesut Ozil back might, might help as well in that regard. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, well, speaking of Mesut Ozil, we've got a question here from bum 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 here we go i've lost it no i haven't i found it again it was almost a musical there like uh who was doing the musical uh, kevin campbell kevin campbell yeah here's a question i have found it um keith kennedy was that keith design uh says goodly morning gents is it arson's intention do you think to replace project ozil with project iwobi wow um I don't know, to be honest. I don't think that he necessarily is in a situation like with Urza where he's thinking, I'm going to build my team around Iwobi. I think that there are traits that they share, uh, but I think Iwobi has a lot to prove before he's yet in that position. Um, I mean, one thing that a couple of people... Have I got the question here now? Uh, I do have a question. Sing it, sing it, sing it. (laughs) <laughs> okay, Funky Fred. <laughs> Funky Fred um, on Twitter said, Ozil seems to have said nothing about extending or leaving. Do you expect him to be will-torded? I mean, I suppose on that theme, do you think there's any chance that with Ozil having missed the Chelsea game and with Iwobi having shone again without Ozil this weekend, do you think there's any chance we begin to move away from a, a reliance on Meza Ozil in the next few months? I mean, you'd have to you'd have to say you'd have to say it's probably something that's going to be on Arsene Wenger's mind. That, mm. like, I think there's a difference between Will Torting Will Tord and Will Torting Mesut Ozil, just in terms sure. of the the quality and in terms of the the potential that they have to have an impact on the team. And you know, I think Will Tord is one of those players who gets. Uh, he gets a bit of a bad rap. You know, he was a decent player, but when he's in uh, in the team alongside uh, Thierry Henry, Dennis Bergkamp, uh, Freddy Jumberg, uh, Robert Perez, you know, he maybe uh, looks a little uh, pale by in comparison to those players. Mm-hmm. But he still st- scored a decent amount of goals. Um, but in terms of the situation, obviously during his final year when he wouldn't sign a new deal with the club, Arsene Wenger decided, well, look, we've got to, we've got to move on. We've got to think of new ways uh, and you're not the future. And it wouldn't surprise me if over the course of the season that did happen a bit with Mesut Ozil. I can't, you know, interestingly, I can't see it happening as much with Alexis Sanchez. Really? Uh, yeah. Like, it does. It makes a little bit of sense to me when it's Ozil. It doesn't make any sense to me when it's Alexis. But I do think, generally speaking, he is going to play his strongest team as, as often as he can. But where I think it might come into play, James, is where we go to big games like Chelsea away, Man United away, Tottenham away, uh, Man City away those games we've spoken about before that don't necessarily suit Ozil. But because of his stature, because of his seniority, because perhaps of our desire to keep him and to keep him involved, we couldn't turn around to him and say, look, today's not a day for you. You're not the right player for a game like this. You don't necessarily uh, provide the kind of defensive security that we need. And maybe there was a fear of upsetting him or a fear of... uh, tainting his view of his future at the club if he's not going to sign if he's not going to stay we don't have that to worry about anymore so maybe no. he might be more inclined to make those kind of decisions if that makes sense and why is Alexis different in your mind is it simply because we have players who can kind of do an imitation of what Ozil does say an Iwobi or even a Jack yeah. Wilshire maybe but yeah. we don't have anyone who can do what Alexis does correct and I think what you know and I, I'm not one of those people who buys into the whole Ozil is lazy and he doesn't you know I just don't think he's very good defensively and I think maybe you sacrifice a bit of that or a bit of Ozil's creativity for someone like Iwobi or like Welbeck who's going to who's going to give you the hard yards in a, in a game away from home where they're a bit more important perhaps than the the ability to pick out a pass when you still have someone like Alexis Sanchez in the team who can provide that spark of of creativity. So I, I just think you know the, the 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 character of the players or the way that they play makes Ozil just a little bit more expendable for certain games than Alexis Sanchez. 
Because you mm. see, you, it's not to say Sanchez is flawless. Of course, we see him give the ball away. We see him, there were a couple of moments yesterday where he made passes where he was expecting somebody to be and they end up looking like bad passes and he's obviously trying, trying to be a, a bit creative. But when they do come off, they create danger and that I think is, is going to be something that the manager will, will err, or not err, will, will want to keep in his side. Whereas I think he can manage Ozil a little bit differently now. If, if he's aware that he's not going to stay, I think he will manage him differently. I think he has to because we've seen the effect that a lack of kind of stability can have on this team. We saw it with Arsene's situation last season. And if Arsene is to be believed, we saw it in the Liverpool game, mm. you know, when there were so many players whose futures were potentially in doubt. And I think that if Arsene really is in this for the two years or beyond, he will really want to manage the dynamic of the team and he won't want to create a situation where there is a too obvious a reliance on two players who are going to leave at the end of the season. Mm. Uh, and I think he will, over the course of this season, attempt to kind of manage that and protect his team from the departure of those two players to an extent. I don't yeah. think that means dropping them. I just think it means reducing their status a little bit and and lifting the status of certain other members of the squad. Yeah, certainly if he thinks that those players who, who he can replace them with are in it for the long haul, right? Like someone like Iwobi, who is still learning and still developing as a player, but obviously is a, a player of, of real potential. Um you know, I think if he, if you were to ask him to choose between Ozil and Walcott, for example, then I think Ozil would be uh, getting the nod more often than not. But because he's got players like Welbeck, like Iwobi, who he feels are in some way the future of the club, I think that will that will have an impact. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Um, can you offer some advice? We've got a question which requires some advice here. I, I will do my best. I can't promise, but I'll do my best. Okay. <laughs> so it comes from Rich Partington on Facebook. I was at the Emirates yesterday and there were a couple of really annoying fans behind me who wouldn't stop moaning loudly regardless of what was happening on the pitch to the extent that it was beginning to affect my own enjoyment of the game. What would be your recommended way of dealing with this? Should I try and ignore it? Should I give them a subtlish look of mild pity or actually say something? Right. That is annoying, of course. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? It is a tricky one. I guess the first thing that occurs to me is, one, how big is Rich and how big are the two guys behind him? Because for, <laughs> for a star, he's outnumbered. He's outnumbered. Unless Rich yeah. has got a crew True. that we don't know about. Maybe he's there with his, with his boys, you know. But uh, we're, we're assuming it's just one guy against two guys. So I would say the size of these guys would be a factor. And also, you, you know, we all have a bit of common sense. We can probably um, decipher a willingness of the people involved. How, how willing are they to resort to violence? You can sort of mm -hmm. take a reading there, uh, you know, uh, use your common sense. Um, if you feel like it's not going to be a case that they're going to just turn around and box you in the face, then I don't see anything really wrong with just turning around and saying, come on, let's just, you know, whatever. I mean, everyone's entitled to act the way they want during a game, right? You can moan, you can cheer and everything else. But when it's so relentless, when everything, everything, everything is a negative, it does get a bit wearing. It really can. So, yeah, I, w I would uh, see how safe it is to say something. Otherwise, I would go with the look of, uh, you know, pity or slight scorn. Just sort of turn around and touch slightly. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've got to enc encourage these people to see the beauty in life. You know, just maybe say, hey, look at the sky. Look at the formation of those clouds. Look at the sun, people behind them. Look at that, that grass. Isn't the world lovelier than you ever thought you know find the beauty in things guys look at the way Alex Iwobi runs along with his little socks rolled down it's not all bad there's things to enjoy Nacho Monreal scored a goal you know exactly embrace it exactly exactly maybe some people just get stuck in a negative rut you know they just maybe they just need a hug that's what he should do he should just turn around hug them hug them just give them a hug go it's alright guys it's alright it's only football Here's a hug. <laughs> then you probably get your face I boxed in, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be careful. Be very careful. <laughs> uh, 
Um, okay, and uh, just just so we're clear, uh, any advice that Rich takes and carries out, we yeah. bear no responsibility for whatsoever. So, uh, yeah, okay. Absolutely well, not. All right, the next question is actually also slightly based around fans, and there are two of them. So one um, comes from Shaving Arshavin, who's at Christo21497023, who says... Should we make selfie takers do a Game of Thrones style walk of shame? Surely that'll sort out the fuckers. And Funkmasters, uh, Funkmaster Fat, who's at Joshua Jason, says taking selfies before the game, yay or nay? Well, can I ask, was there something that caused this to be a particular source of debate? Yes, uh, yes. Uh, there there, there, there was on, a tweet going around last night where uh, somebody had. Um, rather unironically, of course, taking a photo inside the stadium of two other people taking a photo of themselves. There were a couple of, I think, uh, Asian fans. They could have been, I mean, they could be local, but they, they looked like they had come from, I don't know, from the Far East somewhere and were maybe at their first game. They had a selfie stick. It was well before the game. The, the ground was relatively empty. And um, somebody said, well, you know, this is like the end. Football is dying or some shit like that, right? So I think that's where that's come from. It's sort of tweeted around and people have... Uh, had their own opinions on it, but um, I guess th- this is why the questions are out there. Okay. Uh, I think that there's no harm in that at all, is there? Someone taking a, a selfie well before the game in the ground, you know, I don't know who that's hurting, I don't know who that's affecting. I think when it's a bit different is obviously people, you know, filming themselves during the game or, or trying to get themselves during the game, obstructing other people's views, not actually watching the game because they're on their phone. I can understand that that is irritating um, because it, it impedes and affects the atmosphere in the ground. Um, and I think, you know, naturally tourists are going to want to do stuff like that, but that is a bit annoying. But I think around the game, I haven't got any issue with it at all, I'm, I'm say. What about you? Yeah, who the hell, what difference does it make if someone takes a picture of themselves inside the ground? You could just ignore yeah. it, right? The only reason it's an issue is because you're making it one, because you're choosing to be offended by two people doing something that has absolutely no bearing on you whatsoever. Um, you know, I think we have to we have to remember, like if you're a, an Arsenal season ticket holder who lives on Holloway Road and you go every week, you know, it's a very different experience for somebody who comes from uh, abroad to see their first Arsenal game. And, you know, people use the word tourists and it's somewhat disparaging, I think. I think we have to just remember that these are fans. Uh, They come from Mm -hmm. a different part of the world. To them, going to the Emirates for a game is like an amazing experience. This is like, Mm -hmm. it's like going to a church. It's like you or I going on. Yeah, yeah, it's like you or I going to, you know, New York or going to bloody Sydney or something. And what do you do? You take a picture of yourself at the Sydney Harbour Bridge or you take a picture of yourself in Times Square or at the Empire State Building. Um, Because that's what people do, right? Because it's it's uh, Mm -hmm. it's such a, a unique experience because they might only ever get to go to the to the Emirates once in their life. Just one time. They could have saved for years to make a trip to the other side of the world to go and see the football team that they support and they want to take your picture of themselves inside the stadium. You know, so fucking what? I don't have any problem with that. And where I think you're absolutely right is uh, people who are filming themselves throughout the game, they're worse. (laughs) They're far worse than two people taking a picture before the game has even started so they can remember... Uh, you know, a great experience that they've had. They've gone, they've seen their football team won and they'll look, in the, look at the picture and say, oh, I remember that time we went to London and we were in the Emirates and it was amazing and what a stadium. You know, we had a brilliant experience watching our football team. But if you were sitting there every week recording yourself, get to fuck. They're the ones you want to point some fingers at, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, Arsenal is such a huge club such a huge following from all across the world. And the, those of us who, who live in England or indeed London and, and get to go to games more regularly are, are in a privileged position to be able to do that. And if people come and they want to make a real day of it and make some memories and capture those memories on camera, I think you've got to respect that. And that's that's their right, really. I would be, I would be the same in a lot of other situations. So 
And, and, you know, even selfie stick, guys. I don't even hate a selfie stick that much. Is it actually... I don't own one, but I saw, I could never actually bring myself to buy one. But I can see that it's actually quite a useful device. <laughs> well, absolutely. Yeah, I don't have a selfie stick either. But you know what you can do with selfie sticks? You can just kind of ignore them. Some people... Yeah. <laughs> some people look, That's the best thing about them. <laughs> yeah, look, life has changed, right? The world has changed. And these are these are new things, the ideas of, you know, selfies... You know, 15 years ago, not everybody had a high-resolution camera in their pocket that they could, you know, take mm. pictures of themselves with. But people have always taken selfies. People have always taken pictures of themselves in, uh, you know, uh, holiday situations or, or things like that. You know, before there were cameras, people were fucking painting pictures of themselves for fuck's sake. So it's not that, you know, you can just ignore two people who are taking a picture. If they're standing up in the middle of a game and they're in your way, by all means, say something. By all means, get outraged by it. But, you know, when you could just mind your own business, and there's something weird, isn't there, as well, about saying, uh, you know, putting it on Twitter and, and trying to shame people, um trying to whip up a bit of a frenzy against them when they're just minding their own business. They're not mm. doing you any harm. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's fucking bullshit to be honest. If anything, if anything, the selfie has spared you, you know, if you're annoyed, the, the, the fact of people saying, excuse me, would you mind taking a picture for us? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Be grateful for the selfie stick. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, that, that, that's perhaps cut down on human interaction. Maybe there's that. Maybe we're yeah. missing that part of things. <laughs> Thank God. Thank yeah. God for that. Yeah, we don't want to be fucking talking to people. But yeah, look, you know, there are far worse offenders every week in that stadium than, than the people who were put up on Twitter yesterday. That's for sure. Yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. All right. Um, I think we're going to leave it there for this week because uh, sound quality issues are ongoing and they're now becoming uh, unbearable uh, for me to try and deal with as well. <laughs> um, okay. So we'll we'll leave it there. Um, I don't know if we'll have a podcast on Friday because it's an interlude, but you never know. You never know. We might pull uh, something out of the bag and we'll be here next week as usual with an Arsecast Extra talking about whatever nothing is going on during the interlude, but uh, hopefully hopefully we've got a bit going on. James, thank you as ever. My pleasure. I uh, hope, the, hope the dogs uh, continue to scare the life out of people. They seem to have settled down now, yes. <laughs> good news. Good news indeed. And it's always good to have a bit of dog action in our podcast, so I thank you for that. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60. 